Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Incorporating Non-Invasive Tools to Improve Diagnosis and Management of Non-Alcoholic Steatohepatitis. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Pfizer Incorporated. Hi, I'm Phil Newsom, Professor of Hepatology at the University of Birmingham, and it gives me great pleasure today to introduce this program, which is looking at incorporating non-invasive tools to improve diagnosis and management of patients with non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. In this first session, we're going to discuss the critical role of non-invasive biomarker testing and imaging tools in patients with NASH. Why is this important? We know that NASH represents the more severe form of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. We know from the data that it probably has a prevalence of between one and a half and six and a half percent. And the most healthy incidence rates are about 25 to 26 per thousand patient years. In fact, it's now become the second leading cause for liver transplantation in the United States for adults. And we know it's associated with poor health-related quality of life, as well as a high prevalence of comorbidities. When we think about how we currently make the diagnosis, liver biopsy is a key part of that. The challenge with liver biopsy is we know that it's basic. We know that it comes with discomfort to patients. It also comes with complications such as bleeding and death. And as a consequence, many patients don't want to have a liver biopsy and certainly are reluctant to have more than one. It also is expensive for the healthcare economy. We know there's a lot of cost entailed in the biopsy and the interpretation. So I think people consider it the silver standard because it's also variable in terms of interpretation. What about biomarkers in NASH? This is looking not just at the presence of fat, but trying to identify the presence of fat and inflammation, which we see in the setting of NASH. So people commonly use liver enzymes. That can be useful. But there's a range of other tools which are being explored, microRNAs, circulating cytokeratin 18, fragments, also fibroblasts, the like 21. Some of these are still very speculative and still research tools, so they've not really made their way into clinical practice. For that reason, there's been a lot of work looking at non-invasive biomarkers. And this slide indicates the many different tools that are out there, the fatty liver index, the NAFL liver fibrosis score, and this outlines some of the criteria around their applicability. So hopefully I've highlighted some of the unmet needs for patients with NASH. And in this next session, I'm going to discuss the emerging blood-based biomarker panels that help in the screening, diagnosis, and also monitoring of patients with NASH. In this session, I'm going to review the emerging blood-based biomarker panels and they're used for screening at-risk patients, confirming the diagnosis, and also monitoring patients with NASH. There's going to be a focus here on looking at the latest evidence for serum biomarkers and also biomarker panels in helping us reliably detect the presence of NASH in patients. As you can see here, we've captured a couple of different blood-based biomarkers. We have ELF, which is probably the most widely used, it's got the greatest experience with. And as you can see, it consists of a number of different parameters, hyaluronic acid, TIMP1, and P3NP. The good news is that it's been used and it's deemed to be feasible in a large number of studies and subjects. And there seems to be an emerging body of data around the links to clinical outcomes. The commercial test is routinely available in the UK and it's becoming used in other geographies. 
Below there, you can see that there's a series of other panels, ProC3, which is ProCollagen3. And again, that's been studied in panels such as Litmus and also Nimble. And it's looking like it will be an option going forwards. You start to see some more complicated combinations below in NASH and 4 and also in the lipidomic panel by our liver. So these look at a combination of microRNAs or different triglyceride panels. And again, these are coming through nicely, being validated in a series of large cohorts, helping us to be able to tell a patient whether they've got NAFLD or whether they're more likely to have NASH. All four of these tests are supported commercially, and that's important because without commercial support and development, it's unlikely to come through to clinical practice. I think it's important when we start to use them in large cohorts. I think one of the challenges we need to bear in mind is that the performance at a group level or at a population level can often be different to managing it at an individual. And that's where it's going to be important as we distinguish between how we use them in clinical studies and how we use them in managing individual patients. Hopefully I've given you some oversights as to some of the emerging blood-based biomarker panels that we can use for patients at risk with NASH. And in this next session, I'd like to discuss the practical guidance on how I use and how I recommend you could use strategies to incorporate these non-invasive diagnostic tools into clinical practice. In this session, I'd like to explore the latest evidence around imaging and elastography biomarkers in non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, covering their benefits and also their limitations. I'd like to start with controlled attenuation parameters. This is a methodology that comes in the FibroScan device. And alongside measuring liver stiffness, which is the transient elastography parameter, we also have controlled attenuation parameter, which essentially measures the degree of steatosis of fat inside the liver. And there are a large series of data which demonstrate how controlled attenuation parameter correlates well with the percentage of steatosis and the steatosis grade as determined on analysis of the liver biopsy. One of the nice things about this tool is it's office-based, so you can see the patient and perform the scan during the consultation, so there's an immediate feedback to patients. One of the observations with the imaging-based modalities is that they are quite sensitive to whether an individual has fasted or not, so it's important that when you're using CAP or PDFF that patients have appropriately fasted before you test with it. One of the other ways of doing this is looking at magnetic resonance imaging, in this case, you're looking at proton density fat fraction, and this gives you a more objective and quantitative evaluation of the amount of fat inside what is, in essence, the whole of the liver, rather than being limited to a small core. So I think the advantage of MRI evaluation is it gives you that overall assessment of fat inside the liver, and it's likely to be more accurate. And again, as with FibroScan, it's been validated against liver histology. You're getting more accuracy, a more overall assessment of the liver, the flip side is that you're requiring an MRI scan, so there are potential issues with claustrophobia and also the cost of an MRI modality. They both have their strengths and weaknesses. This particular slide compares the two types of modality, ultrasound-based and non-ultrasound-based, which typically are MRI scan-based. But here we're looking at their ability to look at liver stiffness, so really a measure of liver fibrosis. And I think the same kind of parallels come out, ultrasound-based, easier to do, cheaper, but perhaps give you less precision than you might see with MRI. So again, if you're looking at clinical trials, you can certainly see the advantage of the latter, the MRI-based. But in routine clinical practice, that may add time and cost. That hopefully gives you a highlight of the role that imaging tools play in the diagnosis and staging of patients with NAFL. And in the next session, I'd like to discuss practical guidance on how we use strategies to incorporate non-invasive diagnostic tools into clinical practice.
In this session, I'm going to discuss strategies for incorporating non-invasive diagnostics into clinical practice and trying to identify which patients would benefit most from the use of non-invasive biomarkers. When it comes to patients with, with Lafaldon Ash, many of these patients are not necessarily sitting in liver clinics. They're often in primary or community care, general medical settings, even in luminal gastroenterology or obesity or endocrinology clinics. So we'll need different approaches because patients are found in very different settings. So one particular approach is to take a pragmatic view. If a patient has, for example, two or more metabolic risk factors, has the presence of type 2 diabetes, or evidence of steatosis, as for example, might be found on ultrasound, or has elevated serum ALT or AST, that you would follow those patients a bit more closely, make sure you've excluded an excessive alcohol intake, and perform laboratory tests, which would then allow you to make a risk stratification. I think one of the challenges here is we know that approximately one in three or one in four of the population will have increased fat inside their liver. So there's a lot of patients out there. And I think we need to be careful that when we're trying to implement screening for patients, that we really are doing it in a sensible fashion. We don't want to be sending a quarter of the population to a liver clinic. So you've identified patients as having fat inside the liver. This slide tries to risk stratify on the basis of how much fibrosis they may or may not have. Using very simple algorithms such as FIB4, you can stratify patients into low risk, indeterminate, or high risk, and then you can risk stratify further on the indeterminate by using something such as FibroScan, which does liver stiffness measurement. You can then break categories up again on the liver stiffness measurements, so less than 8 kilopascals, 8 to 12, or greater than 12, and that allows for a sensible division of patients so that you're really focusing on those patients who are at greatest risk. Hopefully that gives you some insights as to the strategies that can be used to incorporate non-invasive diagnostics into clinical practice. And in the next session, I'd like to discuss emerging treatment options that have shown considerable benefits to patients in the management of NASH. In this session, I'm going to discuss emerging treatment options that have shown potential benefit to patients with NASH. And I get the importance here is we want to treat patients before they reach a stage where treatments are likely to be less effective. When it comes to the treatment goals in patients with NASH, clearly holistic medicine demands we make sure we manage the related non-liver problems around obesity and the metabolic syndrome, as well as obviously trying to impact on the liver disease phenotype they've got, trying to reduce the progression of advanced fibrosis and perhaps also reducing the degree of fibrosis. And that obviously will drive a reduction in the development of complications from liver disease. If you look at this next slide, this tries to illustrate the focus needed for different types of patients with NASH. So if, for example, you've got a patient who's got NASH but has not got advanced fibrosis, plan is focusing on managing the metabolic syndrome, helping them with weight loss, helping them manage their blood pressure, their glycemia, and the like. Now, if we go to the other end, somebody's got advanced fibrosis, we obviously still need to manage the metabolic syndrome, but we really are thinking about how can we effectively manage the NASH and the liver fibrosis. At this point in time, we don't have any licensed products, but as we look at some of the medications in the pipeline, it's clear that drugs that perhaps have an effect on weight and glycemia may also have an effect on the liver fibrosis. So things like pyoglitazone, things like the SGLT2s, and also the GLP-1s and combinations could be quite important. The indeterminate group, I think, probably is a gray zone. You could consider medications for the metabolic syndrome as appropriate, but treating the liver disease per se is probably still an open area. This slide here illustrates the range of combination therapies that are currently being tested. You can see there's all sorts of combinations here. Ideally, you've got things that target the metabolic syndrome, 
as well as drugs that might target fibrosis. So that's targeting multiple different pathways. Hopefully, we can see an improvement in fat, an improvement in liver inflammation, and an improvement in liver fibrosis. I think we need to focus on better use of non-invasive markers so we can identify the right patients that need to see the hepatologist. With the hepatologist, we need better biomarkers that help us identify who's progressing and who's not. And then finally, we clearly need better therapies. And it's really exciting at the moment because there's a whole load of different treatments which are being evaluated in phase two and phase three. So hopefully soon we'll have new patients that can actually have new therapies delivered that are effective. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.